Hey guys, PK here. In this episode, we'll be talking about an investment opportunity that often, you know, gets new investors really excited. They think they're onto something. They often find an ad on Facebook about these types of things. And really, it's a slippery slope to what can be some pretty significant disappointment, okay? So in this episode, we'll be talking about NDIS, the National Disability Insurance Scheme. What it is, the benefits, the, the pros, the cons, okay? And as I go through, even if you're not interested in NDIS, I'll be weaving through, as I go through the pros and cons, I'll be weaving through just really fundamentally strong, sound investment principles, why NDIS doesn't make the grade for me, and even if you're not considering NDIS, how these principles will aid or should or could aid your own investment thesis and how to grow wealth, how to build passive income, how to build you know, um, a retirement through property investment. Do you want to achieve wealth and passive income through property investing? PK Gupta, host of Oz Property Investment Mastery, will help you achieve passive income by buying top 5% growth and positive cash flow property and building a portfolio using data without you wasting months of time doing research, spending weekends at inspections, or dropping ten dollars to $20,000 on buyer's agents each time. So if you are confused and overwhelmed by the amount of contradictory information available online and don't know where to start, then this show is for you. I just want to say as well that I'm really, really grateful. I don't think I've said it enough, but I'm really, really grateful to each and every one of you who, you know, are part of this community. Um, you take the time out of your day, out of your week to watch these episodes, to listen <laughs> to humble old me. You know, I'm so grateful that we can have a dialogue in this way. I know it's me, the person who's speaking, but I genuinely get so much reciprocation every time you share, every time you leave a review, every time you message me on Facebook. There's so many ways that so many of you um, reach out to me and, and say thank you or give me suggestions to improve. I'm just so grateful to each and every one of you for building this tremendous, just really honest community. All right, let's bring back the honesty in property. That's kind of my mantra these days. All right, let's go to NDIS. So I know that, you know, and especially on Facebook forums and other forums, every two weeks, there's sort of someone who pops up um, and says, oh, guys, I've found out about NDIS, you know, great um, investment option based on what this company is telling me. What do you think? And, you know, the, the wise old heads in the, the forums and the communities kind of give a knowing look to each other and you know kind of disregard it for the most instance instances but really i want to break it down and give you a more informed view of why ndis you know maybe for some people one percent of investors but probably isn't for you just like it's not for me so let's start off with the benefits so why are we considering ndis in the first place the hook you know the bait that gets us drawn towards 
NDIS is higher yield. So what this is, right, is the government is incentivizing property investors to invest in these special types of properties where um, those who need it, you know, people with disabilities, can reside, right, obviously, um, and the rent will be backed, will be paid to a large extent by the government. Okay, so from a social perspective, it's a really, really good thing. I think that and there needs to be more of it. I think the government needs to do more for, for these um, types of folks, but also just build more houses, <laughs> right, because there's a chronic um, undersupply of rental houses. So that's kind of the, the theory, the principle behind it, you know, very good thing for them to do. And from an investment perspective, it makes a ton of sense, you could say, in from one angle of vision, because the government is willing to give very high yields, right? So they're able to give, or they say they can give between, let's say, 6 and 16%. I'm just using generalization here, sometimes a little bit, you know, in the middle, but let's say 6 to 16% gross yield, which on the face of it is pretty good, right? Because if you invest in a capital city these days, you're not beating 5% yield. And if you're investing in regional areas, um, which, by the way, are no inferior than capital cities, if you follow the data, um, but you're getting maybe 5 or 6 maybe 7%. So on the face of it, this NDIS properties gives you so much extra yield. And you can also say that this yield or this rent is backed by the government. So how could you go wrong, <laughs> right? How, how could you go wrong? I mean, cash flow is king, right? Passive income, let's take it home, all right? So those are the pros. But now let's, let's excavate the cons. Let's really, you know, dig deep and understand the other side of the coin. So the first con is that a lot of banks won't actually lend to NDIS properties, to NDIS builds, right? And the reason is it's specialized property, right? So banks are very conservative. They don't really like to, to lend to, you know, unique types of situations, even Airbnbs, right? Like even if your Airbnb property went up, you know, the banks don't really allow you to refinance as much as they would for a normal residential property. What to speak of NDIS, where it's a very specific type of property, you know, made to order almost, or made custom build for the needs of the disabled person. Or, or disabled people, right? So it's very unique, it's very specialized, and, and banks don't like that because it's not evergreen, all right? It doesn't have a marketability to a large audience or to a large populace. So that's the first thing. Don't expect banks to be your friend. The second thing, um, the second downside or con in NDI's property is high interest rates. Now, with that same point where banks don't favor it, they're going to slap it with a risk premium. So you might be paying another one, another two um, percent interest rate on your loan on this type of property. And right now, interest rates are very low. We all know that they're going to increase at some point in the next two, three years. We just don't want this artificial penalty of higher interest rates because of the type of property we bought. We don't want to make life more difficult for ourselves as investors. All right. So that's the second downside. The third downside, once again, to do with banks is that you generally need to have about 40% deposit 
to build or to get this loan to build an NDIS property. Okay, well, let me let me kind of qualify that. So there's one one part of it is banks aren't going to let you borrow um, at 80 or 90% LVR or 80 or 90% loan to value ratio for these types of properties because they deem them as high risk. But the other thing is with an NDIS property, right, what you're doing is you're building it, all right, you're building it because it's custom designed for the needs of these particular types of disabled people, all right? And so when they build it, well, when you build it, oftentimes the value that you think that house will be, it doesn't end up being that, right? Because by nature, you've had to overcapitalize, putting all these special types of bathrooms, bedrooms, this and that, right? So these properties just don't value up. It's not like an NDIS property with three bedrooms is worth the same as another residential property down the road with three bedrooms, right? And so what you need to be prepared for is the bank saying, look, yeah, I, th I knew or I, I know you think that that property is worth 500k. We actually think it's only worth 450k. We're still going to give you the same amount of loan. So if you want to follow through with this purchase, you're going to have to stump up more deposit. All right. So that's another downside. That's why I'm saying you need about 40% deposit, which is a, a lot, you know. And I said at the start of this episode that we'll be talking about general principles as well. You know, in property investment, you want to build, ideally, a property portfolio quickly, Right? And you'd build it quickly by putting as low deposit on for each property as possible. Right, You keep it cash, positive cash flow, you put as minimal deposit as possible, and that way you preserve your own capital, your own cash for subsequent deposits. Right Now if you're putting 40-50% deposit on for a property, like that's a lot of money you're probably not going to be able to buy another property for another two, three, four, five years. All right, so that's counterproductive to building a portfolio. The number four downside of NDIS properties is management fees are higher. Okay, so at the start of this episode, I mentioned that the upside, or basically the only upside of NDS properties is that the yield is higher. In other words, the rent is high. You know, let's call it 6 to 16%. Let's just say 12% because I think most of them average around there. So 12% gross yield is great, but that's only gross yield, right? Management fees, you know, there's normally a company that manages your NDIS property for you. They take care of the maintenance, they take care of finding tenants, they take care of all the paperwork, all the legislation which allows the government to be involved and, and back the rent and pay you. There's a lot of bureau bureaucracy, a lot of paperwork to be done. The company handles that. Now they charge a lot of money, I must say, to do all of that. So whereas a normal property manager for a normal residential property, you know, would charge, let's say, somewhere between six and nine percent, just using averages here, um, a property manager for an NDI's company, because it's so specialized and the work they have to do is so detailed and deep, they often charge 10 to 15 to 20 percent, all right? And once again, I just want to say these are generalizations. Not all companies are like that. But try to understand if you're making 12 percent gross yield and you're paying 10 to 15 percent management fees, like that gross yield on a net basis is diluted significantly.
all right, is diluted significantly, which after all these other things that I'm going to talk about in a second, means that that net yield from an NDIS property, which is really the only benefit of having an NDIS property, is basically not too much different from a normal investment property, residential investment property. Okay, so management fees, that was the fifth downside. The sixth downside of NDIS properties is that the build cost is higher. All right, I touched on this a little bit before. You know, if you're building a three-bedroom, two-bathroom residential property, let's say on one side of the street, a normal one, and on the other side of the street, you're building three-bedroom, two-bathroom NDIS property, because you're building it or you're having to build it for the needs of the, the disabled people or, or persons, um, you know, they need a particular amenity within bedrooms, bathrooms, kitchens, which naturally increases the cost of the house. So what you're doing is that you're spending, let's say, another 10, 20, 30 percent on build. I'm just using average numbers here, generalization here. Let's say another 10, 20 percent on build cost. What that is termed as is overcapitalization. All right, your your capital growth on that property, um, if it's on the same street as a normal property, is going to be the same, right? It's on the same street, you know, location, location, location. But that capital growth is coming off a higher base you know you spent more money on this ndis property so therefore the return on investment is less all right let i mean let's say you've bought, built a three-bedroom house normal house not ndis 300 grand it goes up 10 percent every year just use round numbers whereas on the other side of the street you build ndis property for 400 grand that goes up 10 percent per annum um you know that 10 percent per annum is not occurring on 400,000, it's occurring on $300,000 because you've overcapitalized by $100,000. So, you, you know, you're not getting the return on investment on that $100,000. It's like wasted money from an investment perspective. So that, that's the other thing you're overcapitalizing. The seventh downside on NDIS, on NDIS properties is that the capital growth, <laughs> notwithstanding the example that I just gave, is actually you know, historically, not too crash hot. Okay, and the reason is that these properties are more often than not more in demand in areas that are far outside of cities. All right, for example, in the Brisbane context, you know, a, a lot of these properties are in demand out past Caboolture. Now, even Caboolture in these boom times has gone up, but, you know, fundamentally, it's not the best suburb um, for long-term growth. Um, but this is where many of the the demand sits for these types of properties. So you're you're investing, you're overcapitalizing, you're investing a lot of money in this area, which, from a capital growth perspective, is going to underperform other locations. And remember, in property investment, location, location, location. I know it's kind of a you know, um, this is the most cliched thing in real estate, but it's so true. The suburb in which you buy does 80% of the lifting in terms of capital growth. And so the problem is the demand from um, the disabled, um, you know, community for these types of properties isn't often 
in the better suburbs. When I say better, I'm not saying from a socio-demographic perspective. I'm saying from a data perspective, from an investment thesis perspective, from a location growth suburb perspective. All right, so that's, that's the next downside. Number eight, downside of NDIS properties, maintenance costs are higher. Look, and once again, I, I don't mean to make any statements about the social conscience or, or of anyone, but a normal, quote unquote, let's say a normal tenant, you know, they're going to take care of your property because they've given a bond, right? They've given a bond. A bond isn't a secret handshake, <laughs> but they've literally given you money, $2,000, $3,000, um, where if they trash the place, they accidentally knock things over, put a hole in the wall, whatever the case may be, you know, you don't have to give them that bond back. You can take that bond and use it to um, fix the house. You know, there's so many things that, you know, like a, a contract you have with them. Whereas with NDIS properties, the people who live in the properties, they have no relationship with you because the relationship is through the government, right, through the NDIS scheme. So they, you know, they can often, I'm not saying they do, by the way, but there are anecdotal evidence, lots of it, that they don't treat the place as nicely as they could and because there's no repercussion for them or maybe they don't have an ability to do so. So that, what that means for us as investors is higher maintenance costs. And we can't recoup that cost from a bond or anything like that. It's just higher maintenance cost. Number nine, tenant vacancy can be higher. Let's look at a normal um, investment property. You know, I have a tenant there. Um, the tenant moves out tomorrow, put it for rent. Within a few days, I get a new tenant, you know, done. With an NDIS property, because your clientele or your potential tenants are so specialized, right, because by nature or by definition, they need to fit the, the criteria of having certain type of disability. And, and by the way, I think only less than 25 people, percent of people with a disability actually, you know, fall under or fit the criteria of being eligible for NDIS scheme inclusion, you know. Um, because they're so specialized, you might be waiting two months, three months, four months, five months, I don't know what it is, but I'm just painting a scenario here for your new tenant. So if one person moves out, you might be having a vacant property for a long, long time, all right? That's almost like a commercial investing without the, without the upside, all right? So that, that's just a really um, deal breaker in, in my mind. Number 10, funding. So right now, like I said before, despite everything I've said uh, from an investment perspective, it's a social problem. You know, Australians, people in this nation, in this country, in our cities, in our towns who are disabled need to and deserve to have a place to live, right? That's, no one can argue against that. But the problem is that the government can flip-flop. Right now, the government is saying, yes, 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 we'll back this NDIS scheme, throwing millions, if not billions of dollars towards it. What happens when the federal election happens and policies change? Or what happens in two years, three years, four years, five years, budget repair, all of this thing? You know, the funding can be taken out of the scheme whenever from the government. There's no guarantees. And then you're left with a property that's very specialized towards a specialized cause, a very niche type of tenant, but that tenant can't pay because the government is no longer backing their rent. Okay, so that is a structurally or fundamentally a long-term crack 
in the strategy of investing in NDI's properties, in my humble opinion. Um, number 11, it's hard to exit. Okay, so let's say you bought an NDIS property. And, and by the way, this is a just a general principle as well. Whenever you invest in a property, you should always have an exit strategy, not only for a particular property, but for the entire portfolio as well. And I've done so many um, episodes and videos on, on this before, but with an NDIS property, you know, let's say you invest in it, everything goes well for a year or two, your circumstances change, you lose your job or interest rates go up so much and you hadn't buffered in cash um, buffers or divorce, you know, things happen, life, life happens and you need to sell. You know, who's going to buy an NDIS type of property? It's very, you know, uniquely built property, you know, from the outside, it may look normal, quote unquote, but from the inside, you know, oversized bathrooms and, you know, it's it's made for a per to make a disabled person or multiple disabled people's lives as simple, as easy as possible from a residential, um, you know, perspective, from a from a living perspective. But that means that the house is completely or to some extent abnormal for a non-disabled person and they will could overlook it because it doesn't have the aesthetic appeal, the functional appeal as what they want. All right. So it can be very hard to sell these types of properties. And that's really the last thing we want as property investors. Of course, we don't we don't buy property with the intent of, of having to sell it. But, you know, anything can happen. We should always plan for for plan B. And this is just a, not a good investment strategy to buy NDIS because plan B may turn into plan C, plan D very quick. Twelfth downside of NDIS is what you actually have to do is you have to, you know, build. Okay, so the, the, the company who's your property manager often helps you develop it. You have to build the property. Then you have to wait six to nine months for the government, NDIS, the scheme to approve your property to say, yep, it, it fits all the criteria, checks and balances for the type of property we want for these types of people to live in. You know, you haven't taken any shortcuts. Quality is good. It's, it's meeting all our regulations and policies that process takes six to nine months oftentimes what that means is for almost a year you're without rent right and that's never a good idea like you know who in their right mind would build something overcapitalizing and you know at that and then just leave it there for for government bureaucracy to give it a seal of approval like in my mind once again that's not a good idea and and i know that these 12 downsides they're generalizations i've there's always exceptions to rules as well and i know there's probably hundreds of ndis specialized providers companies you see on your facebook you see on youtube ads you'll see on forums, all this kind of thing. A lot of people of them may not be super happy with me because a lot of these 12 things are generalizations, but even if they are only half true, okay, even if they are only half true, it's just too much negativity, so too many cons, too many downsides for me to be wanting to put my money there or for me to be advising anyone informally of course none of this is financial advice to be putting your money there I just think that um, you know new investors you know especially those of you who overanalyze you know you, you, you you'll come up with so many different tactics strategies I can invest in NRAS and and seniors co-living and NDIS and defense housing this and this and this 
To be honest with you, taking my experience and so many other experienced um, investors, um, you know, wisdom on board, you know, there's no secret sauce. You know, you're not, you know, kind of hacking the system and you, you're not the only one who's found this amazing, you know, scheme. If it's too good to be true, it generally is. Okay, just stick to the tried and tested buying positive cash flow properties with high growth, established, try to buy it under market value with some value add potential. That's how I built my portfolio. That's how basically I would say the majority of people who have become millionaires in Australia through residential property investment, that's how they've done it. Not through these fancy, you know, um, uh, <laughs> fleeting strategies that, that come and go. So those were the 12 downsides. I gave an upside, which was higher rental yield. Um, but, you know, you, I'll let you draw the conclusions about what is best. And I hope that even if you're not interested in NDIS, I hope that this commentary, this monologue, these um, insights that I shared were useful to take the principles, to take the logic and apply it in your own investment thesis. And an investment thesis is your own amalgamation of all the content you hear and how you synthesize it and what makes most sense for you, all right? That's what a thesis is. NDIS does not fit my investment thesis, and I'm, I don't have any bias as to whether it should or should not for you, but at least form your thesis based on what you've heard in the last 25 minutes. All right, guys, well, hopefully that was super useful. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening always. Thank you for being with me. And I mean, these are just some great times to be investing in property. People think 2022 is too late to be investing. That's what they said last year. That's what they said two years ago. That's what they said 10 years ago. Get started now, guys, and I'll see you on the other side. Catch you later. <laughs> Bye. Thank you.